0: Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert Series. I'm one of your co hosts for today's interview, Chris Walton.
1: And I'm Anne Mazinga.
0: And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. She's back, in. Oh, my gosh.
1: I don't feel like that's fair because I feel like that has like like a scary connotation. Yeah. I felt like an alien or something there for sure. Yes. That's true. Yes. And this is like Kim. She's one of the most like watched (laughs) guests we've ever had. So it should be more like she's back, baby. She's back.
0: She's back, baby. She's back and better than ever. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's what we'll do. That's how we'll do it. So, so she's back. She's better than ever. And we are of course talking about, Dynamics Market Development Director, Kim Baudry, who is once again here to share her expertise with us and with all of you about the major trends impacting retailer and CPG supply chain network strategies. So Kim, with that introduction out of the way, welcome yeah. back to OmniTalk. This makes your third time on the program, if I'm not mistaken. How are you today?
2: I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you. We're doing, doing really well. Happy to start my week with you guys, and um, I'm glad. Yeah, that first intro was a little ominous. I was like, "Yes, yeah." It was. What
0: was that like? The poltergeist. Poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I forget that it's the little girl that I always think of, but she's actually (laughs) talking about the poltergeist, right? Yeah. When she says that, so yes. So I apologize, Kim.
2: That's okay. And uh,
0: hopefully the hopefully the 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 quick pivot there worked out for you in terms of that introduction.
2: All right. Thank
0: you.
1: (laughs) Well, we're really excited to have you back. Um, Before we get started, just a quick note for all of those, uh, all those of you who are joining us uh, live on LinkedIn, you can ask questions of Kim and the Domatic team at any time via the chat session window in LinkedIn right to the right of your screen right now. So make sure you keep that in mind. Chris and I will keep uh, the content and conversation flowing throughout. So, um, reach out, ask any, any questions that you have. Um, now Kim, this is the third time that we've interviewed you, uh, but this is the first time that we have you live in front of the audience, uh, that is live here on LinkedIn. So remind us if people are joining for the first time, what Domatic is and specifically your role there, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Sure. So Dematic is the second largest material handling equipment and software provider in the world. Uh, our parent company is Kion. They're based out of Frankfurt, Germany. So we um, provide solution-wise anything from WMS, WES, to AGVs, AMRs, to shuttles, to uh, unit load storage. So pretty much anything you need inside the four walls of a distribution center to run your operations.
1: So we, if, if it exists in there... You're going to have it. You'll get somebody set up.
2: If we don't have it, to. we also partner with a lot of companies. So we integrate a lot of other companies' equipment as well. So, yeah. And our, talk about our, your we,
1: role there. Yeah. Uh,
2: sure. Yeah. I am a global market development director, and I think I've shared this before when we've done some podcasts. Our, our role at Dometic is fairly unique. Um Yeah. We kind of cross all of the different departments at Dematic. So on the front end, we work very closely with our sales organization, marketing, business development to really uh, help the company understand through the research we do, what our customers need today, and what they're going to need two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So we do a lot of research. I think I said before, research to serve. So we serve our internal customers, like the people I just talked about as well as our product development and solution development engineering teams. So to planning, you know, planning for the future, what should we be either making or looking for partners to integrate? Um, And so that's that's what our team does. And so it's really interesting. I don't do the same thing any day. It's always different and it makes my job really fun, so.
0: Yeah, and one of the things we love about that role too is, and one of the things we love about you as well is, we love how candid and frank you are. Yeah. Like, like candidly on our side, I can remember the last podcast we did where we, we had people literally say to us, "I can't believe she's talking about that on the podcast," which is which is such <laughs> great great news for us because one, it makes for great content, and it means we've got somebody that's a straight shooter, which is always what we appreciate at Omni Talk and because that's kind of our ethos too. So, so let's just get to it then, Kim, mm-hmm. with with that kind of can- candid and frank perspective. Let's start on the retail side first. What major sure. trends are you seeing as retailers look to fortify their supply chain networks to start
2: 2024? Well, I know we've talked about this in the past. I'm going to cover it here because it's going to connect a little bit to some other things happening in other vertical markets. So retailers over, you know, since COVID, even really before COVID, um, have been looking at their supply chain networks and really where they're going to position inventory and product to make sure that they're, able to respond quickly to their end customer right so we've talked in the past about close this close to consumer movement getting product closer to the urban centers or suburban areas and that's not just a thing that's happening in the United States it's happening globally especially in some of our bigger um, metropolitan areas in in Europe as well there's that has been going on Um, and so it continues to go on and we've actually done some research on that I've shared with you before, but we can probably cover it again. Yeah. But, um, in, in this, we kind of hit a downturn in where they were, um, they're kind of putting investment in the retail fronts. So if you think about apparel retailers, general merchandise retailers and grocery retailers, Mm groceries are a little different because we all need food. We're not going to, you know, not buy food. Right. Um, But some of the other things, you know, in general merchandise and apparel are discretionary spends. So while um, the economy's kind of slowed over the last couple of years, interest rates have gone up, we've seen a slowing of business in the general merchandise and apparel industries. And then again, that was a global situation. Um, And while those have slowed in investment, um, the other areas that have picked up are what we call the downstream markets. So the companies, the, the industries that feed the retailers, so people that are making non-durable goods or uh, people that are making, making, you know, food and beverage manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually spending more money on automation right now and up through the next couple of years than you are seeing the retail um, chains doing. So it's kind of a, a little shift. I don't think that it'll be that way forever. I think we're gonna see this, it's a little blip uh, probably to 2025. Um, but I think there's a lot of things going on in the retail uh, industry that are again looking at how am I working up my net my network my supply chain network mm-hmm. and my ecosystem to feed my stores and my direct to consumer orders better faster um, and more reliable. So Kim, let me ask you more about that. So let's stay on the retail
0: side here because I do, do want to cover the CBG side here in a minute, <laughs> but I want to stay on the retail side first. Um, so what does that mean? Like so, if, if I'm looking at the I'm looking at my network and its strength and where I should take it in the future. What does that mean? Like, does it mean that I'm looking less at the larger size automated facilities? I'm looking more at a smaller facility, like help us understand that.
2: Yeah, there's definitely been a trend and there will continue to be a trend away from the huge um, national 500,000 square foot or bigger distribution centers. Um, A lot of our retailers have built those out, right? They'll either have one national or they'll have one in the West coast, one on the East coast. They have what
0: they need, essentially. That's what you're saying there.
2: Yeah. and, And really when you were pretty much just replenishing the store and you had a set delivery day of the week that you delivered to a store and that was, that was very easy to manage. Right. And I, I didn't need more than that, but now as I, as a consumer go into a store and I buy a product or I order online and I want it shipped to my house, or I order online and I want to pick it up at the store. The store is now actually becoming like a micro, you know, mini depot, mini fulfillment mm-hmm. center. Yeah. Node in the network, right? Yeah. 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 So in order to get product to, if you want to keep stock in the store, you have to almost ship to it every day. Yeah. So we're seeing a growth in regional distribution centers. So there's a, those are, um, smaller than the, you know, they're like a couple hundred thousand square feet, maybe a hundred thousand square feet, and, and they will feed the stores more frequently. Um, then there are some customers that are actually, you know, still doing micro fulfillment, using the store as a fulfillment node with click and click there and using automation in the store. Most companies that are doing, using the store as a fulfillment node are, are doing very manual um, operations in the back room you know, of a, of a store, but in order for that to work, they'll have like little mini um sorting DCs. So they'll ship product to the DC and they'll be able to get it to the customer last mile. So it's kind of an interesting, and, you know, I, I, again, we talk about how every, I it used to be very, very standard for our retailers to just keep doing the same thing. And when we built a building for them, we'd be planning 10 years out, not anymore, right? right. Every, Changes. It's been changing really since I think pre-COVID, but COVID really accelerated it.
1: Um, yeah. One one thing that we kept hearing, Kim, too, when we were just out at Manifest, is exactly what you're talking about here, where you have the retailers that are, you know, constantly trying to evolve and and deploy automation to make things get more easily from DC to store to consumer and everywhere in between. But the other thing, and where Chris was, he alluded to before we started this conversation that kept coming up at Manifest, where we kept talking about this session, was about suppliers specifically, like CPGs, having to really rethink now that they're going direct to consumer in some cases and sending one item, and then they're still responsible for sending the pallets to their retail partners. Like now they really have to to kind of rethink how they're applying automation in their centers. What, what are you seeing on your side? Are they taking a similar approach to where you saw retailers kind of begin with this uh, yeah. several years ago?
2: Yeah, that's funny. Cause um, I remember... <laughs> This is way I'm aging myself a lot. Way back in the late '90s, when um, Walmart started a program called Direct DSDC, Direct to Store, Direct to Distribution Center. Yeah, and they required all of their providers to right. ship an order for a store to their DC, and then they would just cross-dock it basically to the store. And that, that caused a huge, like, upset in the industry because all of those companies, if I made a curling iron or if I made nail polish or hair bows or whatever, instead of shipping a case to Walmart and letting them figure out how to break it out to their stores, they had to ship whatever store one needed and store two needed and store three yeah. needed, basically right so now you're seeing that happen with food and beverage and cp and other cpg companies so if they want to earn shelf space and they want to have you know more competitive advantage inside of a grocery store or a super center or hypermarket whatever you want to call them um, they they are investing to make sure that they can deliver to the store what the store needs and not mm-hmm. pallet to the dc for the dc so they're doing we're seeing a lot of investment In that space and automation, because again, you're taking every time you go from a bigger unit of measure to a smaller unit of measure, there's, it's more complex and involves more people to do the work. So that's where automation then can get a, you know, return on investment that is is good.
1: So what does that mean for the size of the facilities then, Kim?
2: Well, um, you know, again, we, as we see the retail vertical or the retail industry kind of getting smaller and closer, You'll see that the food and beverage companies are, some of them are getting bigger um, and and some of them are expanding in their footprint, you know, a little bit bigger, yeah. but a lot of them um, are trying, uh, you know, new ways of automating to help get to that smaller unit of measure. And another thing you'll see a lot of uh, those companies do where they, if they're actually manufacturing the food or a beverage, yeah. they're moving their... A distribution facility very close to the manufacturing facility, so they can get the product basically from production to the grocery shelf quickly. Because yeah. freshness obviously is a big issue in your food, right? You want things to be fresh, want them to be safe. Um, so, but freshness is a big issue. So you'll see with the food and beverage, some movement towards getting closer to the manufacturing facilities.
0: Got it. Which is why we call this session bigger and smaller. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it was the, the CPGs are tending to get bigger in their fulfillment network in terms of the size of their operations and the retailers are still getting smaller, even down to the micro level, like Kim said too. So, all right, Kim. So, so let's, let's get more specific now about the automation solutions. It sounds like mm-hmm. both sides of this equation are still trying to get faster, find the productivity from automation. But I am I'm imagining, given the differences in approach that they're each looking at different types of solutions too. So, can you walk us through that? What types of automation solutions are each side, retailers and CPGs, looking to deploy as they try to strengthen their networks here this year?
2: Yeah. So, on the retail side, I think that the big word is flexible, right? Um,
0: right. Makes sense. So,
2: so because they're they're constantly adapting to a changing customer and their ex- expectations, you know, having some flexibility in what they have and and their uh, distribution center footprint is really important. You know, they can go anything from just being manual work with a soft, a smart software system um, to adding, you know, like I was talking about AGVs, uh, AMRs are big mm. now. Things, that, and then as they're in a smaller footprint, you also want to make sure you, you are. We're always balancing flexibility with how much space do I have, right? Because if AMRs and AGVs usually take up more space but things like an auto store or shuttles, uh, they can be very compact and still get the work done. So we're kind of working with customers on a lot of different, like there isn't one size fits all for sure, um, but definitely flexibility has been a driver, um, trying to be able to adapt and be able, and then the other thing with, you know we've I think we've talked about this before too, if you take an AMR or an AGB, you can move those fleets from one building to another. If right. You Um, so that's a, you know, so it's not bolted down. Then you look on the CPG and food and beverage side, they are moving the opposite direction. So they used to do a lot of stuff with pallet, um, lifts and, um, forklifts and things like that. And now they're moving to more bolted down automation because they're moving from pallets to cases. And you're, you know, you're doing a lot of things with either unit load that holds a a pallet and then takes a pallet and supplies a forward pick area where they're using a shuttle and they're building store-friendly pallets, for instance. Um, so things are delivered to their stores in a, in a friendly manner so that people can put things away quickly and easily. So again, it's kind of you're seeing a divergence or a change. And um, it's not 100%. I mean, it's, it's not like right. everybody's doing this, right? But you're definitely seeing more of the flexible fulfillment happening in retail and more of the higher automation happening in the food and beverage and cpg space
0: so so kim as an executive shine then that 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 is the way it is because the retailers are still they're closer to the end consumer ultimately at the end of the day so therefore they need to stay more flexible in their design whereas the cpgs and the manufacturers there's more consistency in what's being asked of them they're being asked something new but there's more consistency in what they're being asked. And therefore they're looking at some of the more standard tried and true automation solutions that, you know, you can count on. It's just figuring out where and how to deploy them in the right way. Is that the right way to encapsulate what you're saying?
2: I think it's a great way to put it together, Chris. I mean, I think that it's kind of like um, anything where I see a trend happening in Europe and I'll say, watch that. I'll hit America in the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. So Always. sustainability is a great one. We, mm-hmm. we've been talking to our customers and, in Europe about, we've had to respond to questions around sustainability for years over there, right? And it's now just becoming a real hot topic here. So I kind of liken that to, the stores are gonna be right there in the battlefield or whatever, and I don't wanna call it battlefield. They love their customers, but you know, they're in the trenches with a customer trying to figure out what should I be doing to make you happy today. And then the, the suppliers to them can be a little bit more steady This is probably the biggest change they've had right in years is, but again, I I look back at retail, like I said, 1990s, we went from a full case to a distribution center to sending an each to a store. And now we're seeing a similar trend, I think with CPG and Food & Bev.
1: So Kim, Chris kind of started tapping into this, but I'd love if you could kind of distill it down into you know, the key things that as supply chain executives, both from the retailer side and the CPG side, as they're trying to figure out the right automation solution, they're trying to follow the trends that they're seeing happen in Europe and start to think about those in the U.S. What considerations should they have as they're trying to do that? Can you kind of break it down, retailer and CPG for us, what you'd recommend that they start thinking about or keep top of mind?
2: Sure, I think in the retail space, speed of delivery to cu- your customer continues to be a way yeah. to set yourself apart and compete, frankly, with Amazon. Yeah. So um, our retailers I'm going to use where I live as a great example. I think I've said this to you guys before, but I live in Northern Michigan. We don't currently have an Amazon warehouse anywhere near me, um, but I have stores near me so uh, I can get a delivery pretty darn quickly. If I order uh from one of my stores that are local. Um, so speed of delivery is continuing to be one of those places that retailers compete to be better. The other thing is on obviously the customer experience with your brand. So if I'm going to do something, whether it's in my store or at your shipping to your home, you want things to be accurate. You want inventory to be available. Mm-hmm. So if you think about those things. You've got to make sure that your supply chain is meeting the need for speed. Um, I'm sorry, we went off into the top gun thing. Yeah. You're on the right podcast for this,
1: Kim. This is right yeah. where Chris is right at home. I'm going to start like riffing Kim if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. He's yes, gonna going to start calling you going. goose
2: Just pretty soon yeah. here. Came out of my mouth. I was like, oops, I'm, I'm not Maverick, but anyway, talk need- to me
0: goose. Okay.
2: <laughs> getting things quickly to your customer. Yes. And whenever they're engaging with your brand, making it sure it's a good experience so that my order at my house is accurate. If I go to your store, you have inventory on the shelves, right, so those are the things. And then you have to work backwards from that to make sure that you've got, and that's why we're seeing a lot of these fulfillment nodes get closer to the people where you're buying things, right? Right. Um, Because the closer they are, the faster I can replenish my stores. The faster I can get my orders to my end consumer, um, and then make sure that in all of the things that you're doing that those it's accurate, right? And it's it's what the customer's expecting. If you look at the CPG model, um, their their customer is the store,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. so they have the ability to learn from the retailers. They have more time, like the retailers you know, as long as I, they're going to be more focused on that. I need to get inventory to my customer in the manner they want it. Right. So if they're not wanting cases and not pellets, we're not seeing a lot of beaches, but I bet you, we will one day. Right.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, You get them there and the it's what they, at the store level, they want to get what they want when they have asked to have it. So, you know, when do they want to receive it? You don't want a truck sitting idling anywhere, or they want, you know, the yard management to work good. They want all the, the inventory to get delivered on the plan that it's supposed to be, and they're going to be pushing a little bit more for having things delivered in a certain way so that they can stock things a certain way in the stores and the better you're able to solve for that. The more shelf space and presence you'll probably get at that store. So if that makes sense, should I answer yeah. the question? No, it, it does. Th- yeah.
0: It does. Okay. It it does. You know, I wanted I wanted to ask you an extension of it too. So like if you're, so if I'm an executive and I'm trying to figure out what automation solutions to do and make it as easy for me to meander through all these questions that are coming your my way in what you just described, what am I looking for there particularly?
2: Well, you know, I, well, I'm going to do a plug for us because it's, it's, it's what we do that I think is different. We, we look to solve a problem. We don't look to sell a piece of something, right? Equipment. So it's really important to partner with a company that can look at what are you trying to solve for, right? And it, and it has to be really to do it accurately and to do it well. You should look at your entire network. Where, where am I getting product? Where am I receiving imports, exports? Where does it go from there? How does the national DC potentially fill uh, uh, feed a regional, and if you're not doing that now, will you be considering it in the future? So the the structure and the foundation of any of that is a software system, um, obviously that can manage inventory, not just in the DC but across your supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, we do provide that, but we also work with a lot of great companies that do that as well, and we partner with them. So you you need to look at what are the priorities if you can for five years, right? Five years is a long time now, a, a days, but let's break it down. Like, you know, I want flex. We, we have a whole, um, it's a, a database that we work with customers on. So you plug in, you know, your priorities and you weight them and you say, okay, flexibility. I don't care what else, I just need to be flexible. I, I need to have equipment that moves around. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing or maybe I don't even buy equipment for five right. three, right? So you have to really examine the key things you want to take care of in your supply chain. I see a lot of retailers doing really cool things now that, you know, they're stepping outside of boundaries that they used to have to to really service a customer better. And um, I think there are some really interesting things going on. They're leading other companies to look at how they're handling things. And the status quo isn't gonna really just be okay. But I think that, you know, getting with a, a company that can partner with you and look at the full picture and if they don't have a product or solution that you need that they can bring in a partner that can, um, those are important things to think about.
0: Got it. Gosh, five years out, I, that scares me. I'll be I'll be in hey. my fifties by then, Kim. Oh my oh. God, oh yeah. I don't wanna think about that. Oh. But anyway, Stop. so <laughs> <what>? go ahead. <laughs> that's why we love you. That's why I love you. All right. So, so we'll get you out here on this one. So, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, retailers are notorious for swinging the pendulum, you know? So, and one of the reasons we love having you on is you're very candid about it. So like this bigger and smaller trend across constituencies that we've discussed today, how long do you think it's going to last? And if, and when will we see this swing back? And if not, if it doesn't swing back, because there's a part of me that as you're talking, is kind of like, this may be the way it is for a while. Yeah. What will we see next? Like, how will the supply chain evolve next?
2: Yeah, I don't think I'm seeing a swing backwards anytime soon. Yeah. Again, because, you know, I'm just trying to imagine where our consumer is going to go next, right? I don't know what role... AI will play. But I think as you add stuff like that to our abilities, like if, you know, we're able to use AI to do any kind of prediction of where inventory should be, or or our customers can do that, right? I think it's only going to get better at being smaller for retailers, you know? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I don't have a crystal ball, but I I think that it will probably stay, you know, there'll be this mix of small, medium, large in the retail space and um, medium, large in food and beverage. I don't know, maybe they'll go to shipping lots of each's, but then they'd be competing with their customers. I mean, they would be competing with the retailers, right? So I I don't think that will change mm-hmm. from that perspective. Um, but I, I, I think that that's why flexibility is so important to retailers right now, because they're like, I'm hedging my bets. I think this is going to stick. Not 100% sure, but you know, I think I'm going to keep these smaller. And again, we've 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 talked about micro fulfillment. We've learned a lot, right? And micro fulfillment mm-hmm. volume is key. If you don't have the volume, it just won't be profitable. It won't have an ROI on it. Um, but as we learn those things, I think the next time you try to go do something, you do it with more knowledge. And you know, maybe we're not doing an MFC at every grocery store. We're doing it in a in a regional area, right? And there's enough volume to, to allow for that. So I, I, that's my thought. I think there won't be a pendulum swing. I think we're just going to get better at doing the things like, you know, getting smaller and getting closer to our consumers. That
0: that makes sense. Cause I mean, what you're hitting on is essentially the universal truth. Like if you can do something as productively in a smaller space, you're going to want to do that. So, but I want to push you a little bit. Like, so, Mm -hmm. so what are some of the things that are still going to need to evolve to make that happen? Like, are we going to see, new partnerships start to evolve around how facilities are run. Are we going to see more, you know, you mentioned Europe and looking at what they're doing. We're going to start to see, you know, people starting to shape demand similar to what they're doing, like trying to lower the delivery, you know, delay the delivery windows in exchange for lower costs to the consumer. Like, how do you see that map playing out? Cur- I'm curious.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I think we talked about this earlier that Europe does and, you know, with the food, just groceries, they'll, they've set the the consumer up to be ready to say, I'm going to only deliver in your space on a Wednesday and a Friday. And here's the timetable that I'm there. So you pick, which one do you want? Right. So they're driving the consumer to say, Oh, okay, I'll pick it up on Wednesday at five o'clock or deliver it to me Wednesday at five o'clock. We haven't done that in the U S so there is opportunity. I think for a lot of U S retailers to learn from that and say, Hey, you know, a lot of customers, I mean, If I'm planning ahead, I'm usually okay to wait a day or two, but you know, again, it's in the US, speed has been the thing that we've competed on. And again, we're competing against Amazon and likes of of companies like them. Um, So I do think there's opportunity to do things like that. Uh, Partnerships are interesting because there are some companies, general merchandise companies, I'm thinking, right? Where I kind of want my stuff tomorrow Or maybe two days at the most let's say it's shampoo i don't know shampoo yeah a brush and i need some batteries right um those kinds of companies are probably going to keep delivering you know more quickly to the end consumer but if i'm going to buy a laptop unless mine just died i can wait right but those companies so they're not actually needing to ship every day but they might want to partner with you know, in delivery, at least you've seen, home. you know, Home Depot's go local, um, or was that Walmart? That Walmart. Walmart
0: go local, yeah.
2: And Home Depot also is, uh, I'm sorry, Home Depot is partnering with the Walmart yes. on that. So it's kind of like, if you think about it, Walmart has stuff that people want every day. Like I want it quickly. Home Depot, I'm planning a project, I usually can wait, but getting on their trucks might be, you know, an interesting thing. In mm. Europe, what we see a lot of actually is a lot of 3PL, uh, companies doing this kind of work, and um, they're doing what's right what's growing in popularity there is what's called a um, multi-tenant facility, so a 3PL like a DHL or um, um, that will have multiple companies in the same building, and so that is growing in popularity over there. I think we're going to see that come here and support some of these companies that don't have enough volume every day to manage a network like I was just talking about. Does that yes. make sense? Yes,
0: 100%, 100% it does. And I hope everyone stood around to the end to hear you say it too, because yes. that was great. That was like, yeah. my, I think my favorite part of the interview was because we're, ta- we're talking about where things are now, mm-hmm. but the real money and the, where the real rubber meets the road is when you talk about, okay, what does that imply for the future in terms of how things are going to continue to bend? And the best executives will listen to that and say, okay, yes, I'm going to do this now, but I've got to be prepared and flexible to your point to stay ready for that future. So that, that was awesome.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Kim, I think you did such a good job illustrating too of like, you need to find a partner that can help you with this, that has the chops that has been working with multiple retailers for years, yeah. figuring out me because it's kind of, I would imagine like a lot of it is just trial and error too. Like, what did we learn from this setup that we can apply to the next one to make your concept more
2: future-proof? This Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the benefit we have of being global. I mean, I, I was on the phone with our Australia office last week. They do things completely different there right. than we do. Yeah. Here, right. Right. But I learn every time I listen to them right. and vice versa. So it's right. it's really neat.
1: Well, Kim, we cannot thank you enough. This was so insightful as you always are. If people want to reach out, they want to just start to talk about collaborating, how they can plan their automation solution um, with Dematic, what's the
2: best way for them to do that? Okay, I'm going to give you an email, but it's really long. Is that okay? Should I do that? Of <laughs> course, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. First of all, I'm on LinkedIn. Easy yes. to message me yes. on LinkedIn. Kim, I think I'm just Kim Baudry. B-A-U-D-R-Y. There's no E in my name um, on the last half of or my last name. But if you're sending me an email, it's Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Now, lots of E's in the first name, <laughs> dot B-A-U-D-R-Y. And now I have a new, um, we're at at Kion Group, K-I-O-N group.com. So happy to answer via email, LinkedIn, reach out to me. Um,
1: yeah. Message our- Kim right now in the chat and yes. make sure that oh, you yeah, can yeah, find out. Yeah.
2: Exactly. I'd love to answer right. them.
1: That's right, Kim's Kim's as you can tell one of our favorite guests because yes. she is so bright and has so much uh, to
0: offer the audience today. And she has a need I for didn't. speed, Anne. I mean, I mean, <laughs> and, I gotta love somebody that has a need for gonna, speed.
1: Yeah, Kimberly Goose Bodry. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so Kim, like- thanks. It- Yes. <laughs> Thanks again, uh, Kim Baudry of Dematic for sitting down with us today. Thank you to all of you who followed along and joined us and kept going in the chat to during this conversation. And as always, on behalf of all of us here at Omnitalk, be careful out there. Mm-hmm.